First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of First Class Fatherhood. I'm happy and honored, as always, to be here with you guys. Thank you for tuning in. And Patrick Bed David is somebody that has really been crushing it in 2023. Uh, he is somebody that is a highly successful entrepreneur. He is a uh, minority owner of the New York Yankees. And he recently made an exit in his business and really cashed out big time. But now he has set his sights really on entertainment that being Valuetainment, a company that he's really focusing on, putting out unbelievable content. He's done interviews uh, with Andrew Tate that went viral. He just recently was on uh, one of the most recent episodes of Joe Rogan's podcast, uh, The Joe Rogan Experience or The Joe Rogan Experiment. And uh, so he's been crushing it in 2023. And he also happens to be the very first guest that I had on the podcast this year in 2023. So I figured it'd be a good idea to rewind and hit you guys with a one of the best of First Class Fatherhood from this year, one of my most downloaded episodes, for no doubt. I'm still locking in some of the best guests possible to bring you guys. Uh, I have been slow on the draw as this is summertime. I've wound down a little bit as far as reaching out to guests. They have the strike going on in Hollywood, uh, which has made a lot of the guys out there untouchable as far as that goes. Uh, but I will have a, a fresh episode for you guys next week. Follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace to find out who that will be. And I am putting up fresh content over on Rumble. If you guys are interested in my political takes as far as the way news and politics are affecting parents in America today, uh, check out the Alec Lace show over on Rumble. It's under the First Class Fatherhood tab over there. I go live over there on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right, so we got a little throwback here, a little uh, way back Wednesday, whatever you want to call it. Patrick Bet David joined me on January 17th, 2023, and I'm going to play that interview for you guys right now. And I am getting closer and closer to the day I jump into the Hudson River and swim across the Hudson River with the Navy SEALs as we try to raise money for the Navy SEAL Foundation. If you guys could, the link to my campaign for the Navy SEAL Foundation is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, and as always, please help me spread the word about today's podcast, every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, and let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know it. Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast. And here is a rewind, a flashback, a first-class fatherhood best-of series. My interview with Patrick Bet David on First Class Fatherhood. <laughs> Joining me now, First Class Father, Patrick Bet-David. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. It's great to be on with you. It's an honor to have you here. Let's start it like this. How many kids do you have? How old are they? I got four kids, 10, 9, 6, and 18 months. What's the makeup? Two boys, the oldest, two girls, the youngest. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we got four over here. We had three boys, then got the girl on the end there. So you're, nice. you're tied, tied two and two. You ain't trying to break the tie, are you? Let me tell you, if it was up to me, I'd have 20 kids. But the wife is done, done. I'm right there with you. If you could, Patrick, please, just for listeners who don't know, take a second here to hit them with a little bit about your background and what you do. Born and raised in Iran, uh, escaped six weeks after Khomeini died in 89, went to Germany, lived at a refugee camp, then came to the States November 28, 1990. 
in uh, Glendale, California. Joined the Army right after high school. Went to the 101st Airborne Division Air Assault. Got out. Uh, started working at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter day before 9-11. I became an advisor. Stayed in the industry for 21 years. Uh, started my own insurance company September of 09. Grew it from 66 agents to nearly 40,000 agents nationwide. We sold the company six months ago. And uh, I started a uh, YouTube channel on the side about 10 years ago, and we grew to a few million subscribers. We got, I don't know, a few billion online views. Yeah, you, you've had an incredible, uh, incredible journey. Everything you touch seems to turn to gold here. And, and thank you for your service. And obviously, you, you've had a, a wild path here, starting from where you came from. So take me back to the beginning, if you could, about from your fatherhood journey. Uh, how old were you when you first became a dad? And how did that experience kind of change your perspective on life? I was 34 years old when I, be, when I became a dad. Uh, one thing that is important for uh, the audience to know, since six years old, when my teacher asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a dad. Uh, simply because I admire my dad. He's my hero. I wanted to be him. And so 34 years old, uh, Patrick Gabriel B. David was born uh, February 1st of 2012 at uh, Northridge uh, Hospital, and I'll never forget that day. He held him, and I life-changing for me. And then we had Dylan, and then we had Senna, and then we had Brooklyn. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, from a young age that you wanted to be a dad. And, and one of the things I focus on here on this show a lot is the fatherless crisis we have going on in our country. One of the main reasons I started the show is because uh, I'm a railroad mechanic, drive a lot of Uber part-time, and a lot of the messages I was getting from the young men was that fatherhood was something that they would want to avoid at all costs. When I would tell them I have four kids, they looked at me like I had four heads and they were like, why would it, you know, they couldn't comprehend why somebody would want to have kids start a family. And it was so off putting to them. And, and it kind of wanted to turn that mindset around. But uh, I think the fact that we have so many kids in this country growing up without a dad in the home, I think is the, is the prime mover in so many of the other issues, social issues that we're seeing in our country here. And I think if we could solve that problem, uh, most of it would go away. What's your take? Listen, first of all, first thing I told you is how many other people are doing what you're doing? Because when my team brought it up to me with the show that you have, I was fascinated by the idea. Because I think we need more people talking about what you're talking about. So I applaud you for the work you're doing. No, I fully agree with that. Look, uh, you know, uh, I don't know anything for a man more uh, uh, honorable or more worthy. If you're, if you're a legacy-driven person, I don't know if you make all the money in the world is going to replace the high you get, natural high you get as raising a child that's yours. I think there's something very honorable. There's something very selfish, rewarding, selfless. Every aspect of uh, having a kid is a priceless feeling to have. I've made the money. I've had the cars. I've spoken in front of some amazing people. I've had dinner with amazing people. I've met some very, very intelligent people in my life. Nothing replaces having a kid. Nothing. I mean, every top accolade doesn't come close to it. Uh, and then at the same time, I think the responsibility of being a father, there's a lot of people that uh, would make great fathers that don't want to be fathers nowadays. And they're kind of not wanting to take that risk. And there's a lot of people that shouldn't be fathers that are becoming fathers today. It only takes a couple minutes to have a kid, but it takes decades to be a father or a lifetime to be a father. Uh, those who do it the right way and they take the responsibility seriously. I think they're as patriotic as uh, our soldiers going out there doing what they're doing. Because in a way, when you raise great kids, you're making society a better place. I feel freer if a father raises their kids better. Communities are safer. 
Uh, people are more comfortable having their kids be friends with other people's kids whose father is a real leader. Eventually, if your daughter comes home and introduces you to a guy that says, she says, dad, I love him. And you meet the father and then you say, that's your father. Yes. It, it's kind of an insurance protection knowing that that man, a great father, raised your kids. So there's so many different ways to lay this out. But yes, I agree with you. Uh, we need more strong fathers in America. Yeah, well said. And and to your point there too, it's it's like you said, your relationship with your father was a good one, and that now takes on the shape for you. You're following in that footstep. But so many of the kids that that come from where they had a, a abandoned father or a terrible relationship with a horrible dad, and they get a chance to break that cycle. That's what really makes the real change in our society when that when when that takes place. Yep. And I don't know if it's a cultural thing going on here. And I'm curious. Uh, in, in Iran or in, in the culture that you come from, what is the, the relationship like? What is the major differences between like father and children? Is there, is there a major difference uh, over there uh, as, a far, as far as the culture goes compared to families over here? Yeah. I, I mean, listen, you, you fear your dad in Iran. You respect your dad in Iran. You don't talk back to your dad. Uh, you know, it's a, my dad, the first time my dad ever told me he loves me, he was 21 years old. I, I was 21 years old. I got out of the army and I'm working at Valley Total Fitness and I'm 21. I go up to my dad. I say, listen, man, I've never heard you say I love you. I want you to start saying it. I want to hear it. And your daughter wants to hear it as well. What is wrong with you? This American people make you Americanized. Of course, you know, I love you. Do you know what I do for you? I said, I, I know you're a great father. I just want to hear the words. Say, I love you. I can't believe you're doing this. Anyways, we don't talk to each other for a couple of days. One day I'm at work at Bally's. They say, yeah, hey, Patrick, your dad is on line one. I said, what? He says, yeah, my dad never calls work. He thinks it's an insult when family calls to work. Like he doesn't want to disrespect the company. And I'm like, my dad would never call. You guys are pulling a prank. So I'm telling you, your dad's on line one. I'm like, let me go pick it up. I say, hey, Pop, what's up? He says, uh-huh, he, okay, uh, uh okay, I, uh, I love you. Click. He hangs up on me. You got to be kidding me, this guy, right? Anyways, and then my sister calls me 30 minutes later saying, is that okay? Is he having health issues? No, what's up? She said, dad just called me and told me he loves me and he hung up. I said, no, let me tell you, we had a conversation two days ago. So Middle Eastern culture is like, hey, get your act together, toughen up. You need to be a man. You need to go. It's very much of a macho, tough uh, type of a climate that you're being raised in. Hard work, responsibility, character. It's it's all of those things. It's uh, it's not the I believe in you. I think you're going to do something special with your life. That's not the culture I grew up in. You know, it sounds very similar to what this culture in this country used to be like, because uh, my father had me when he was 50 years old. Uh, he was born in 1930. He came from a totally different generation. And I never heard my father or mother wasn't ones to ever say that they loved me either. Never that I not feel that they loved me, but it was just never something that they said. And I, I agree with you. Like I was. Uh, if I was to get in trouble, I would rather the cops get me than my father get me. It was one of those type of things where that you had that type of fear yeah. uh, of your father. Wait till your father gets home was it was a was a real thing growing up. And, and how how has that transferred with you and your kids? I know they're young, but what type of disciplinarian are you as a dad? And is that different than the discipline style you grew up with? Similar way. The only the only couple things I added to it. By the way, you know the whole thing about you know what about some people that grew up without a father figure? You know how. You know, some people don't have a great example. So how do they break the curse? I think there is multiple generational curses, right? It's not just one dimensional or two. There's multiple. There's your father's an alcoholic. Hey, you got to break that curse. Hey, you grew up poor. You got to break that curse. Hey, you you know, you, you did not have a father figure. You got to break that curse. Hey, you grew up with somebody that had a gambling issue. Some families have very, very big 
gambling issues, you got to break that curse. You grew up not believing in God and you were all atheists or whatever. You got to kind of go figure out your own spiritual journey. So I think that's my dad was a very, very strong man, but he was a cashier at a 99 cent store and he dropped out of eighth grade. So my dad is not somebody that we talk philosophy or politics. We watch sports together and some, you know, things like that, the relationship that we had. He never threw the ball to me. We never kicked the ball around. That wasn't him. I've never played organized sports in my life. Just to kind of put this to you, I'm six, four and a half, 250 pounds. I've been in great shape since 14 years old, and I've never played organized sports ever in my life. And if you ask me any statistics for baseball from 1990 to 1999, I can give you statistics for those players because I'm a stat and I'm a numbers guy, right? Now let's go to today, today on how I raise my kids. Uh, there's a few different things I added. One, I, I believe in the just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, okay? So start with sugar, give the medicine, finish with sugar. So this is not anything new theory that I'm given. If you've read How to Win Friends and Influence People or some of those books, you're going to see that. I'm a guy that will give you love. I learned this from my pastor, Dudley Rutherford. Anytime he gave discipline his kids, he would finish the discipline with hugging them and kissing them, which is kind of weird. It's kind of like, listen, here's what you did wrong. Let me da 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 Come here. Kellen's okay. And then are we done? He would get on his knees and he would say, come here. Give me a hug. Give me a kiss. Who loves you? So there is that element to make sure the kids know you love them. Now, I will tell you what happened. I just got back from Aspen. I think this is a great story for uh, uh, this podcast. We go to Aspen. My youngest son, Dylan, uh, he goes to the top and he takes one class with an instructor, second class with an instructor. It's done. He comes from the top of the mountain all the way to the bottom in seven minutes. And he's not even stopping. He just goes, this this. Third time he's ever skied. Okay, nine years. Boom. Goes all the way to the bottom. Not falls one time. Goes back up again. Does it again. He's just like that guy. He's got the Bo Jackson butt. He's got the bodybuilder physique at nine years old. The guy walks from without a shirt on. He's the jock. He's that personality. My oldest is more the thinker, the creative, the philosopher, the reader, all that stuff. So we go up and I bring one of my friends, Tom. Tom's a great skier. And Tom's working with Tico, Patrick, my oldest, to help him come down the mountain. So after 30 minutes, Tom feels very guilty. So he just lets Tom, lets Patrick lean on him. So every time Patrick falls down, he picks him up. Every time he falls down, he picks him up. Every time he falls down, he picks him up. And eventually I got sick of it. I'm like, no, we're not doing this. I said, Tom, go enjoy the mountains with your wife and your kids. I got this one here. He says, great. My son's on the ground. I said, Tom, don't pick him up. I got it. I sit next to my son. I said, let me tell you something here, kid. Look at me. He looks at me. I said, I don't give a shit if this takes five hours. I'm not picking you up. We're not walking down. I'm not walking comfortably down with you because you're thinking I'm going to do. Look in my eyes when I'm talking to you. I'm not kidding with you. You're going to pick yourself up and I'm not going to help you. He says, you're serious. I said, yep, figure it out. But I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to leave you alone. But you can do this on your own. Two minutes, he can't get up. Four minutes, he can't get up. Eight minutes, can't get up. 15 minutes later, he finally gets up on his own, goes down a little bit. Then he falls in a very deep, not deep, like, but like deep, uh, of fresh snow. So it's a hard time coming up, right? He says, daddy, can you help me? I said, nope. I said, you got it. You can figure out a way to get out. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, he still cannot get out. I said, you figured out. I said, figure out a different strategy. Maybe take your boots off. Maybe take the skis off. Maybe first use your, you know, sticks, but you can get out of it. 30 minutes later, he gets out. 
And I said, I want you to look at me before we go down again. Every time you go down and you're being flimsy and you're being silly and you fall, assume I'm not picking you up. You can either stand tall and strong, realize how strong you are, because when you wrestle and you do jujitsu with your brother, you whoop his tail. You're not a weak kid. You're the best someone for someone in the family. You're the best jujitsu guy in the family. But someone helped you out here, and I'm not going to help you out. So he falls one more time, third time, fourth time, fifth time, sixth time. Then I said, okay, here's what I want to do with you. What's that? I want you to stay up and not fall for 15 seconds. Let's play that game. I'm going down. 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8. Boom. At 15 seconds, he falls because he feels like that's the expiration. We do 30 seconds, he falls. We do 30 seconds, we fall. So this is what we're doing. I said, if you fall one more time, there's no iPad today and tomorrow. I said, but if you go all the way down, whatever you want is on the house for me. What do you want to do? He says, what do you mean that? I said, if you fall, there is no iPad for you today and tomorrow. Everybody else will get a chance to play iPad. You're not getting anything if you fall again. Because you know how to stand up. You intentionally fall because you want to break. We're not going to do that with you and I. You know what the guy ends up doing? He goes six minutes all the way down, not falling one time. Now, somebody may be watching this. Say some mothers are watching this, and they may say, what a mean father you are. No, I love this kid more than you will ever know how much I love this kid. But I understand today's society is raised around bullies, around leaning, around victimhood mentality, and I'm not going to raise a clown, a victim, or somebody that leans on others. At times, we have to. I'm a guy that also believes on lean on me. Men, sometimes we don't like to talk about our problems. Sometimes we need to get together and talk about the fact that I'm going through challenges, our own insecurities, our own set of fears. We can talk in a community, have that kind of safe conversation. But 99% of the time, I'm a leader. I'm supposed to raise a leader. I got 18 years with this kid. So when we did that, at the end, we're uh, uh, eating at this bar and grill. I said, how'd it feel? He says, that, by the way, it took us two and a half hours to go all the way down, just so you give it a context. I said, how'd it feel? Dad, I felt pretty good. Do you like skiing? No, I don't like skiing. I said, do you know why I don't like skiing? Why, daddy? Because men, us people, we don't like anything we're not good at. Trust me, you don't like swimming the first 20 times I took you swimming. Now I can't get you out of the pool. You'll eventually also love this. Life is about getting good at things, so you love them more. So I can give you a ton of different stories about how I lead my kids, but it's a, it's, it's a challenging environment because they have a pretty great life. So father has to kind of create some of those challenges for them to realize life is not all easy and, you know, resort type of a lifestyle that these kids got. Yeah, and getting them to push through those barriers mentally uh, is a trick sometimes. And as fathers, we and just from your own personal life, I mean, I know my failures have meant more to my success in life than anything else that I've done. And I understand that as a, as a father, I, my kids are going to have to fail and I'm going to have to allow them to fail. And I, I remember I was talking to, uh, oh, hold on here. I hit the button on this. I still got you. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, sorry. I hit the thing here. I should like that set a lot. Yeah, I'm in my bedroom closet here. I'll edit that out. Hold on. Let me get this thing shut up here. All right. Um, I was talking to, uh, who was I going to say? I was talking to Matthew McConaughey about this when he came on the show, and he was talking about rite of passages with his sons and having the, 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 the knowledge to be able to know how high we can let them climb the tree before we tell them, okay, come on down now. Like we, we want them to be able to push their fears 
we don't want them to know we're always going to be there to catch them if they fall, but we want to make sure they don't go too high that if they do come down, they're going to end up busting yeah. themselves pretty good. And that's, that's, that's a tricky thing to do a lot of times as parents. And just like you said, the world doesn't give it a shit whether or not they do hurt themselves. So as a parent to try to, and, and each kid is at a different level, like you mentioned with your oldest and then uh, your, your other child there. So it's like they, they each need to be, I don't know, like a, a different philosophy needs to be applied to each kid as we're trying to do it and learning that. Uh, th- that language is difficult at times. No, you're right. You know, the say, listen, I, I, I've ran a sales organization for the last 21, 22 years. I can tell you the same style of driving that works on one guy may not work on the other guy. And a style that works on him may not work on the next gal. You, you, a, a great leader learns how to drive, poke, inspire, encourage people based on what drives that individual. And if, if, if the more we can work on our leadership abilities on both how to encourage, how to communicate, but also how to drive, the, the ability to drive is a very important skill set with kids. They need to be driven better by parents. You know, coaches typically will do that. Some parents don't know how to do that. And another thing I will tell you on this context with parenting is currency. You know, when we go to Christmas, like we went to Christmas uh, we, at Aspen, I rented out a place. And there's other kids there as well, right? The standards for other kids and how parents raise those kids may not be the standards that we have. In our family, every kid, our currency is reading books. The more you read, the more you can ask for things. The less you read, you can't ask for anything. My daughter today chose to come to work with me, six years old. They have soccer practice. She says, can I come today because it's Christmas vacation? So she's in the office with me all day today. From the first podcast at 8 a.m. to now I'm with you, she's in the office. We just had lunch together. We're back here. She needs to read 20 pages of books every day. It doesn't matter if it's Sunday. It doesn't matter if we're on vacation. It doesn't matter what we do. If you're at our house at 6.30 in the morning, you will see three kids lined up at the kitchen all reading a book every morning. And not because I told them you better read it. They start. They're no longer like force. It's now a peer pressure type of an environment because the oldest reads, the second oldest reads, the third one reads, and then the last one, 18-month-old, will eventually be a reader as well. That currency gets these kids to say, hey, daddy, I want that Lego. Oh, you like that Batman Lego? Yes. Uh, I'll get the Batman Lego for you, and I'll bring them to the house, and I put them all the way at the top that you can't touch it. They can see it, but they can't touch it. And I'll say, that's eight books. That is six books. That is 14 books. That's 20 books. That's 40 books. So they know everything is attached to number of books or number of pages to read. So, And then what will happen a lot of times, I was at this um, Nordstrom's one time shopping, and my youngest son, Dylan, is wrestling all over me. We love to wrestle, so he's all over me. And this lady says, wow, you know, enjoy these moments because they'll go fast. I said, really? I said, how many kids do you have? She said, I have three kids. How old are they? 25, 27, 29. What do they do? The two are doctors, and the youngest one is about to be a doctor. I said, what? I said, your husband, have you, are you guys married, divorced? Said, no, we've been married for how many years? 33 years. Interesting. So give me the secret sauce for parenting. Give me three of them. She said, you don't need three. I'll give you one. I said, okay, what's your one? If you ever threaten your kids... Keep the threats and deliver on your threats. I was like, what a counsel to give. She says, if you tell the kids, if you don't do this, I'm not going to get you ice cream. Don't fall and feel bad and still give them the ice cream. Don't give them the ice cream because your your voice is going to carry weight and they're going to be like, okay, this kind of makes sense. Dad's not playing around. Sometimes you see kids are like, ah, whatever, dad. Dad is too soft. No, you got to stay firm. They need to know that if we are going to give a threat, we need to come through. Just make sure you don't give too many big threats. 
there is definitely something to that. As I mentioned, my father came from a much older school, but I, I, I don't. He never seemed guilty when he was punishing me whatsoever, That's and right. it was physical Respect. punishment the yeah. whole bit. And for me, like if my kids were like two and I spanked them, I felt completely guilty. Like I was like, man, did my parents ever feel like this? Like there's definitely something. Yeah. I don't know if it's just softer. Uh, along the lines of parenting. But one of the things that I do keep in the back of my mind, Patrick, is the fact that, you know, youth suicide is something that keeps climbing up every single year since 2007. This year, there was a student in my kids, in my son's high school grade that killed themselves. And last year, my oldest son had one in their class that killed himself. And as a kid growing up, that was like unheard of for me. Like I, I don't yeah. ever remember hearing that. And now it's getting so as a parent, keeping that in mind, I don't know sometimes what they're going through, especially my teenage boys. And it's like they're on the Internet and they're on the online and there's so much that takes place that we don't have access to. And I worry so much about that because we have no control over it. And they're so much quicker with the technology than I am, no matter what block I put up they're farther ahead of it than I am. So I can't keep them contained forever. How are you? I know you mentioned there what you want some with the iPad on the slope. How are you kind of handling it with the technology and what are you doing to keep them safe? That's such a great uh, uh, topic. You know, a movie I recommend everybody to see is called disconnect. Okay. I don't know if you've seen this movie or not. Haven't. It's a must must watch Jason Bateman's in it. Hope Davis and Frank Grillo. Okay. Here's what the story's about. A boy likes this girl in school. They're 11, 12 years old, okay? And this boy who likes this girl, this bully finds out that he likes this girl, okay? But the girl doesn't know yet, but the bully finds out that that's the girl he likes. The bully goes on Facebook, creates a fake profile with the girl's picture in it, and goes befriends everybody in school to make it look like it's really her. This is a movie. So the bully... Acting as the girl on Facebook, DMs him and says, look, you're really cute. I like you. Something like that. And so I never thought you would like me. Oh, of course I like you. I see you in our class always. I'm too shy to come and talk to you. Please don't come and talk to me tomorrow. Even though I don't look at you, I really like you. What a great manipulator for a bully, right? The format he takes. Anyways, the boy says, I'll show you my stuff if you show me yours. Meaning acting like a girl. So he sends a picture of some random girl's private parts. In a Facebook message, the boy who likes the girls like, oh, my God, takes a picture of his dangling and sends it back and puts it on Facebook. The next day, the kid goes to school. This bully takes that picture and sends it to everybody in school. Realistic story. This can absolutely happen. Sends it to everybody in school. The kid goes around. Everybody's showing his penis to him. Imagine hundreds of kids are doing this to you. Kid goes home, doesn't tell mom and dad because mom and dad are going through a divorce or some kind of an issue that they're going on. That's a career guy. He has an older sister. Kid goes in his room, closes the door, turns on heavy metal music. Nobody knows what's going on. All of a sudden, they're like, why is the music going louder and louder and louder? They go upstairs. Sister opens the door. He's got himself about to hang himself to fall. The moment he falls, sister comes, grabs him, picks him up. Dad comes in. They eventually find out what happens. The father's getting into a fight. You have to watch this video. This is not a fake story. This is a very realistic story that can happen on any given day to anybody. I think today, more than ever as parents, we have to talk about this stuff with them continuously. The other day, just today, we had this guy named Destiny on who's a YouTuber and uh, Sam Sorbo, Kim, uh, 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 Kevin Sorbo's wife, right? Sam Sorbo, Kevin Sorbo's wife. And Destiny, I don't know if you know who he is. He's, he's a progressive. Uh, he's got some interesting ideas. So they start talking and a conversation today came about. At what age I talked to my boys about sex? They were five and six years old. 
We were in the shower. I said, listen, you see that thing right there you got? That's your dangling. I said, I got one. You got one. You got one. I said, yours is yours. God gave it to us. I said, nobody gets to touch this year. Nobody. If me, you, mommy are showering, different story. Nobody else gets to touch it. One day, a girl and you, when you get very close and you love each other, then something will happen. But that's a toy God gave you for the rest of your life. It's yours, okay? And you're going to like it, but it's yours. No one gets to touch it. No one can come and tell you secrets. Hey, you know, if I give you candy, if I do this, can you touch mine? I touch yours? Nope. That's not something you do, okay? That is yours. And then we started talking about sex. And one of my one of my kids comes home at nine years old. He's like, hey, dad, they had a conversation today about gay and trans and, you know, pronouns and all this stuff. I said, let me talk to you about uh, uh, everything here with gay. Let me tell you what gay looks like. Here's what this looks like. This is why many times, and by the way, I know this is a very controversial topic for the average person. Some of the guys that you've also interviewed won't talk about this the way I'm talking about it right now. I said, let me tell you what happened in 1980s. One of the biggest epidemics we ever had in the world was AIDS. And AIDS was caused because it was a, a virus that killed a lot of gays because they were having the kind of sex. And I, I'm showing to these guys what this looks like, not pictures. Visually, I'm like, why would anybody do that? So, well, that's how it got started. And I said, here's how many people that died. Here's what happens when so many people are on AIDS or HIV positive. Look what happens to their body. Look how skinny they get. This is very dangerous. We had open conversations with the kids. Parents are too uncomfortable to have these types of talks. And sometimes they have it too late thinking the kids are naive. Kids learn about ecstasy way sooner than you and I did. Kids learn about cocaine way sooner than you and I did. Kids learn about special K, acid, LSD, sex, anal, everything that you and I are uncomfortable talking about. They learn it way before you and I did. Parents need to be more comfortable today to talk about this stuff because there's something that's around that you and I didn't have. We thought having a Playboy magazine, we found out our uncle's place that we took away. We thought we're the cool kid. That's here right now. This is Playboy. This is drugs. This is porn. This is every single thing they have access to this. And if you say, well, I don't give my kids the phone. Their friends has a phone and have access. Well, my kids' parents are always disciplined. Not all of them are, and they don't have all the controls. They're going to see it. The later we talk about these types of tough conversations with our kids, the more dumb mistakes they can make simply because we don't talk about them. So that suicide thing makes me very uncomfortable. I highly recommend watching that movie with your kids so they know what the possibilities are, why you should never sext, why you should never send your pictures. And so that's the movie, Disconnected. Highly recommend every parent watch that movie. And and, and that leads right into, too, Patrick, is the, is the child sex trafficking that's going on, too, because when I've had guys on here, like some former Navy SEALs that are involved in catching these predators and stuff, it's uh, that those are similar tactics that they use. They create these fake accounts. They make you think you're talking to a kid that's their, their same age, and they befriend you, and it all starts like that, the way that, the, the way that they're doing this stuff, and it's crazy. And, and I know that uh, it, it's gotten so far out of control, and in trying to contain it, I think, is a mistake, and being able to talk about it uh, openly and get ahead of it is what we're trying to do. We're still trying to figure it out because it's all new to it's, it's all of us. And, and and to your point there, too, with what's going on with the transgender stuff and the gay stuff, I had Ron DeSantis on the podcast here who and I got hammered for having him on because he was they called it a don't say gay bill, which it never said that in the bill. Uh, and it was just about not talking to kids about sex uh, of any orientation or anything at kindergarten, first and second grade. And here where I am in New Jersey. Two years ago, eighth grade, they approved anal sex for the sex ed curriculum. And now it's still going back and forth whether or not we're going to be allowed to talk about sexual orientation in grades as young as kindergarten. And parents uh, that are outraged are being called, you know, the, the maniacs here. And so something is going to have to change. But uh, I think 
I think most parents, I would uh, I would imagine the far majority of parents are against this ideology coming into the schools. But somehow in the media, it's being played as if they're the small minority. And it's going to take something to really radically change that. And it's got to be done quick. Look, let me tell you the mistake that Republicans have made. And it's very frustrating what Republicans and conservatives have done. Number one, when you think about a conservative university in America, who do you think about? Give me a conservative university in America. Yeah, I, I couldn't name one. Oh, there's one Hillsdale. It's in Michigan, okay? Outside of that, maybe BYU. You know, you look at how Mormons raise good kids. Right. Maybe because they actually have a setup and they know most Mormon kids go through BYU, okay? And they indoctrinate them with the right mindset and all this other stuff. Your kid goes to UC Berkeley. You may lose your kid for 20 years. I had one of my C-suite executives who says, Patrick, my daughter and I were best friends irreplaceable till 18 years old. She went to this university in Illinois. Every year she hated me more. It's as if by the time she graduated, I was the antichrist. She was supposed to come back home and live with us. Went to LA. Can't stand me. Can't believe I voted for what I voted for. He says, I've lost my daughter. He's depressed. He spent $200,000 sending his kid to a great school, thinking he's being a great parent. And he lost his kid. How dare university systems do this? But at the same time, I will flip it on some of the conservatives out there. If you got all these billions of dollars, you got all this money, all the capitalists that are conservative, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? Why don't you go start some universities? Why don't you go start some? I know we have a lot of great private schools, K through 12. We don't have solid private universities that are conservative, fiscally, capitalistic, bold, not afraid to stand up for themselves. I think we need to also do a better job taking on the fight better. Shout out to all the uh, progressives. Shout out to the Democrats out there. You know why? Because they were more strategic. Shout out to the progressives who said, let's go recruit all the teachers and convert them and have a monopoly where for every one conservative professor, there's 13 liberal. Good for them. They became strategic. Republicans weren't strategic. They were sitting on the sideline just cashing checks, not realizing the, the left got the brains and the right got the money. Big mistake. What were you thinking about? This is a very strategic game to be playing here. You lost Hollywood. You, you lost Hollywood. You lost movies. You lost documentaries. You lost the social government. You lost universities. What's left you? Fox News? You think that's it? No, we got a bigger fight here. And by the way, while I'm saying this kind of stuff, you know, I, I, I just had a very nice exit. And I'm, when I say nice exit, I mean a multi, multi, multi nine-figure exit. And I'm, I've done very, very well for myself. I can sit around and do nothing for myself. I'm 44. The next 20 years, we're building a media company, and then eventually it's going to be contributing towards education. We're going to do our part. There's a lot of people that are doing their parts. I like what you're doing. You're doing your part. We need more people who are not afraid to offend, but do it respectfully, meaning the guy who was here today, one of my guests, yesterday I had another progressive on my podcast, Kyle, Kyle Kolansky. He's a guy that's a Bernie Sanders guy. Today's guy, Bernie Sanders guy. I've had six communists on my podcast. I like bringing people that we have discussions with, but it's done respectfully, but we push back and we stand up. We have to go into more of these debates where there's that discourse taking place, yet at the same time, 
impose your philosophies and give great arguments for it. Don't be a little pansy worried about offending somebody else. This is the wrong time to think the small minority people like AOC or super loud are the majority. They're not. It's like the guy standing around the street wanting to fight you. Say, say something. I got 200 people behind me. Say something. They don't have the 200 people behind them. We have the common sense behind us. And we need to kind of stand up and do our part. And, and by the way, the, the good news about this is you, you're starting to see a lot more people doing this. I love what Daily Wire is doing with Ben Shapiro, their organization. They're standing up. You're seeing some other organizations that are willing to go out there and do the fight. We need more of that. Thank God there's the podcast world today where there's people who are creating shows and they're challenging the status quo. We just need more of that at a larger scale. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it is it, it's it's. One side is far better at playing this long game that they've played. Uh, they're far more, as you said, strategic. And the other side has been caught off guard in so many ways by it. But it just makes you sometimes uh, want to bang your head against the wall. I know that there's definitely uh, – I couldn't even name one when you asked me about a conservative college. There's no such thing as like a, a liberal or progressive family that's worried about sending their kids to college and they're going to come right. home draped in the American right. flag and loving America. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's a very real thing for conservative families. So it's definitely outnumbered. And I wanted to switch real quick over to – I know you talked about you just made a, you, you just made a big exit. Obviously, you've had very much success as an entrepreneur. You talk about it a lot. There's a lot of dads right now that are stuck in a job that they hate going to work every day, and they would love to try to pivot and get over to do something, start their own business, become an entrepreneur. Everybody makes it seem so easy on Instagram and TikTok and all this other stuff. But a lot of times these dads are afraid of doing that because if they fail, they're going to let down their family, their wife, their kids. So what's what kind of uh, what advice do you have to the dad that's stuck in a job he can't stand, wants to make a move? I mean, look at you. You're, you're working your butt off. You're, you know, doing Uber on the side. You're, you said mechanic. You're, you're, you're on the you're railroad. Yeah, for the railroad. Railroad mechanic. You know, you're doing your part and you're doing this. Uh, respect to you. Look, a couple things. One, you either become an entrepreneur, you become an entrepreneur. You have two choices. Both of them make a lot of money. Okay. Steve Ballmer has never been an entrepreneur. He's an entrepreneur. He worked for Bill Gates. Eventually became a leader. Became a voice. Got equity. Now he's worth a hundred billion dollars. Okay. There's many opportunities. I remember living in this community in Plano, Texas, and I would go around and look at all these homes, $5 million homes, $3 million homes. And I would, I want to know how every, I know how I made my money. I want to know how these people made their money. One guy I go to, I said, so, you know, this is a beautiful home. You got here, $5.7 million on the market. How'd you make your money? His name was Bob. He says, yeah, I mean, I worked at a dealership and I became their number one salesperson after 10 years. And then they promoted a sales manager. And then I asked them if I can open up one of the dealerships and run it. So they allowed me to open one. Then I said, what do I need to do to own a piece? I was able to invest into it. And then next thing you know, we got a knock on the door from a guy named Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, bought our company, and we had 50 dealerships, and I got this big of a check. Oh, no shit. That's awesome. So equity. So many stories are companies who were part of a company, helped them become a billion-dollar company. Boom. They cashed out. They got some shares. There's so many ways to make money. Now, for some of the people that are – working a full-time job, making 85 grand a year. You got $120,000 in equity. You got a wife and three kids. Your wife maybe works a job and she's making $49,000. Between the two of you guys, you're making 120, 150, whatever the dollar amount is. There are many ways to learn side gigs. You can get a real estate license and learn real estate. There is not a skill set that pays better in the world today than sales, nothing. Steve Jobs was a salesperson. Elon Musk is a salesperson. Barack Obama is a salesperson. Donald Trump, for sure, is a salesperson. I can go down and explain, you know, head coaches. Phil Jackson sold 
the triangle offense. He's a salesperson. Bill Belichick is a salesperson. You're a salesperson. I'm a salesperson, right? Great fathers are salespeople. There isn't a more important skill set. You cannot go into another year not being good in sales. Not one more year. 2022 is going to be the last year ever that you don't know how to sell. My suggestion to somebody watching this, go read 20 books this year on sales. By the way, you may say, but my job is an engineer. Why do I need to be in sales? You need to sell why you deserve a promotion. You need to sell why what you can do for the company long-term for you to get bigger incentives. Everything about the ability to be able to communicate, sell, negotiate, it's a very, very high-paying skill set, no matter what job and profession you got. So if you learn how to sell in 2023, you can do real estate on the side, you can do insurance on the side, you can do investments on the side, you can do you know, solar on the side. There's so many, you can do uh, online courses on. There's so many different ways to make money on the side if you know how to sell. But if there's one rule for somebody that's married with kids, Never, ever, ever, my suggestion, never quit your job until your part-time gig on the side is making the same amount of money as your full-time gig, then drop your job to go do it full-time. Don't be reckless and drop everything and go do it that way. And if you are being reckless because you want to do something very big, also realize the price could be a divorce. The price could be losing a house. The price could be losing all of that. So if you're still going to do it, know that you could lose it all. If you're okay with that, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. But that would be my biggest suggestion. Wow. Yeah. Incredible stuff, Patrick. And obviously you said uh, you, you made the deal. You're looking to do other things. We're, we're in the new year, 2023. What is uh, What are your goals here for this year? What are you looking to accomplish? What's coming up next for you? Yeah. So our, our consulting company is blowing up right now. We've grown it from a half a million dollar year consulting company to a million dollars to $10 million. We're projected to do somewhere around $100 million next year, shy of $100 million next year. Our social media platforms are doing very good. We're heavily recruiting right now for talent. Uh, we are right now, uh, we launched our Valuetainment Comedy. We brought a comedian here. We're planning on competing with an SNL type of a model on the opposing side. And so we're recruiting comedians. We have 80 comedians that have applied. We're about to interview 15 of them, and we're doing the whole uh, uh, where they're coming out and showing us if they can do improv, if they can do skits, if they can do different personalities. So we'll be competing on the comedy space because I think the way to get people's attention is through entertainment. If you're able to entertain and make people laugh, they're open-minded. If you don't, they're not open-minded. I think that's a very big uh, a part of our company, valuetainment, entertainment. It's a big part of that. We're recruiting folks like Jedediah Bila, Adam Sosnick, Vinny Oshana. We're recruiting a lot of people right now to come and uh, uh, host their shows with us. We just bought a building and we turn it into a comedy club slash a cigar lounge, high-end cigar lounge in the back where people can come and do a show with 200 people. You're selling tickets. You're sitting there. The audience is watching. It's live on YouTube. It's live on Spotify. But also there's 200 people that are buying tickets, eating food, drinks, and then going at the end, having a cigar, private room, playing dominoes, playing poker, having a drink. We're doing that as well. And then we just made an offer on an 11-acre uh, property right next to the airport to build our campus. It's a pretty technical offer that we made. Hopefully, that'll go through. But we plan on competing. We're going to be competing. We're going to be creative. We're going to have a lot, a lot of fun. And we're aggressively, and I mean aggressively, recruiting talent. Over the next 12 months, we're going to be uh, hiring 10 uh, C-suite executives is what the goal is with $200,000 plus range, one hundred fifty dollars to $300,000 to bring different types of folks here to help this company become the company that we uh, have the vision for with Bayou Man, I, I love the energy. I respect the hustle. Uh, be best of luck to you in 2023. No doubt you'll smash the goals. Last thing I want to hit you with here, Patrick, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, 
What type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening? Uh, okay. So one day my wife is seven months pregnant with our first, we're sitting outside the house. And one lady that uh, is a friend of ours who we help roll over annuity. She worked at bed, bath and beyond. She comes by, by, by and she says, Hey, can I give you guys some uh, advice? You may not like it. I said, yeah, what's the advice? She says, okay, dad, I want to talk to you first. I said, what's that? When your first baby is born, you're going to feel like your wife loves your baby more than she loves you. And you're not going to get the typical attention that you get, both privately, both relationship-wise and sexually. So don't get upset. There's going to be a part where you guys are going to have a very, very big fight within the first two months. Just know it's very normal. And then he looks at, she looks at wife, my wife and she says, now, with you, for the first two months, your husband's not going to exist. All you're going to care about your kid. You're going to be tired. You're not going to have any sleep. You're going to be waking up every two hours, nursing, pumping, doing all this stuff. Guess what? She says, what? You still have to figure out a way to please your husband. I'm like, how much money do I owe you? What a special woman this lady is, right? Anyways, watch what happens. Six weeks later, my wife and I have a massive, massive fight after the baby's born. You're not doing this. You don't do this. Why are you not helping? All this stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then we said, oh. That lady was right. She says, that's right. I said, do you want to go put the baby down? <laughs> she goes, puts the baby down. I said, we got to deliver what she said, right? If you're having your first kid, just know that a lot of things are going to be weird. Whatever you do, don't overreact the first year. It's very, very weird. You're going through stuff for the first time. Your wife is probably going to go through it the first time. Read a lot. If you're raising a boy, read up the book, Raising Up Boys by James Dobson. If it's a girl, read the book, Raising Up Girls by James Dobson. But regardless of it, it's going to be weird. It's your first time. Be patient. Within a year, everything will work itself out. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. It's been an honor for me. I got to say, Patrick, Beth, David, you're a first-class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Thank you. Appreciate you. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.